She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files podcast. Season 2. Episode 4. Sleepless. So, in this episode, a wild Crycheck appears. <laughs> yeah, so Crycheck's in this one. This is his first episode. It is what it is. Although not the actor's first episode. No, it's not Nick Lee's episode. As we know, he was in Genderbender, where he played kind of a jerk. Now he's playing Crycheck. We'll see what we think of him. So, anyway. <laughs> so, what really happens in this episode is a man calls 911 to report a fire in his apartment building. He's found dead in the apartment with a fire extinguisher at his feet, but there's no sign of a fire. Mulder gets Skinner to assign him to the case, except there's a problem. Another agent, Alex Krychek, opened the same case two hours earlier. So now Mulder must work with this eager agent to figure out what's killing people while Scully helps at a distance. Hmm. And this episode was written by Howard Gordon and directed by Rob Bowman. It was filmed in Vancouver, British Columbia. Its original air date was Friday, October 7th, 1994. And it had a viewership of 13.4 million in the United States, which is still way higher than the pilot episode in season one ever got. But if you've been paying attention, you will notice that it continues the downward trend. No, no. Yep, yep, yep. So we are in New York City and we've got a flyover, almost as if like a vampire is flying through the sky. <laughs> And it's 11.23 at night. And so then the camera kind of drops down into the city. And then we finally go into a single window. And inside the apartment, television's on. And it's playing the weather and some stock market news, which I'll talk about later. And there's a man in the pajamas who is sleeping on the sofa. And he's got a remote control in his hand. And then suddenly he kind of wakes up and he looks. And there's like smoke, like just pumping from under his front door. And so he goes over and he opens it and he's all, because there's like, it's a blaze and fire. <laughs> and so he closes the door and he runs over and he calls 911 and he's like, help, help. I'm trapped in my apartment. And he gives his name. His name is Dr. Saul Grissom. And then the operator confirms his address. And then he's like, yes, apartment 606. And then he's like, for God's sakes, hurry. And like, right when he says that, boom, fire just explodes from under the door. <laughs> And so he runs in the closet and he's like throwing a hat and his tennis racket and a tennis ball <laughs> out of the closet. And then he grabs a fire extinguisher and he runs over and he starts spraying it and it just goes <sighs> like it makes it worse. And like the door of his apartment like blows open, fire roars in and pretty soon the whole apartment is engulfed. And so then we see firefighters racing up the stairs and other residents are like in their bathrobes, like, you know, clutching their robes and their nightgowns or whatever and running down the stairs and one of the people coming down the stairs is a man, and he's got dog tags, and he's wearing, like, olive drab fatigues, kind of, but, like, the sleeves are ripped off. And then as he passes the firefighters, he kind of stops in the stairwell and looks up at them going up into the sixth floor, and he kind of smiles and then turns around and keeps going. And so the firemen get to the sixth floor, and everything looks normal. And, like, the door to 606 is closed, and we saw it, like, burst open with flames. Right. And they're like, there's no fires. So they call in the check, and they're like, yep, 606. And so... Fireman puts his hand on the door. The door is cool. And he's like, it's cold. Let's do it. And so one of the firemen runs over with a big battering ram. Boom. Blows the door open with the battering ram. And they run in. And there's no sign of fire except for a fire extinguisher laying in the middle of the floor. And then Dr. Grissom is slumped against the wall. And we assume he is 
dead. And then it's X Files, X Files, X Files, X Files. They changed the song for season two. Yeah, they did. Yeah, (laughs) they they didn't. But I'm just trying. I know. Theme song, theme song, X Files. (laughs) So fire, caretaker Bob, aka Cecil, has escaped. That's what I'm calling. Yeah, Cecil. Yep. So when we originally talked about fire, this was the scene that I thought might be that episode, and so. Oh. Um, I thought maybe this was fire, but I forgot that this episode was not really, I mean, as we'll talk about, not really about fire, but like that was the scene that I thought of originally. And so then when I watched fire, I was like, oh, this is the other episode that I vaguely remember, but it wasn't. No, and they have really upped their fire effects game in this episode from episode 12, season one, fire. Like the fire effects are way better in this scene than they were yeah. in the entire oh, episode of fire. Terrifying. So. Yeah. Yeah. And if I learned one thing from Backdraft, which is the only thing I learned because I refused to watch that movie because it scared me, is that you should always feel a door or a door handle before you open it if you think there might be a fire on the other side. If it's yeah. hot, don't open it. Well, we don't know. Maybe it wasn't hot when Grissom opened it. Well, it probably it. wasn't. Yeah. We'll talk Ooh. about why. Well, I wonder why it wouldn't be. I don't know. <laughs> so the, the, the stock market thing that I said I want to talk about later, like we see the TV, but then we also hear the sound of the person talking, right? And the person talking is like, the Dow Jones fell 14 and a half points to 38.37. And one flashback to like 1994, like the Dow Jones being like at 3,800 points, and now it's like 30,000, which is crazy. But then also the TV actually shows that the Dow Jones went up by 11 points is at 3766. So good job, guys. Good <laughs> job like editing that. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, and I neglected to mention in my notes because I just got so into the story that when the guy looks up to see the firefighters and smiles, we also see that he has a big neck scar horizontally across the full back of his neck. And I'm willing to bet that's going to play a role mm-hmm. in the episode. Could be wrong. And then also when Grissom opens a door, he like screams and he kind of sounds like Gilbert Gottfried. But I also watched the episode like at one and a quarter speed. So I watched him a little faster. So that might have been why. (laughs) Maybe. Yeah, he did. I don't know. I could definitely see that. So then Mulder opens his apartment door. So we cut to Mulder and finds a newspaper on the stoop. And as he's pulling it, like he takes it inside and starts to look through it. And a cassette tape falls out of it. It's Phoebe. See, it is Cecil. It's Phoebe sending him a cassette tape. I really hope not. Yes. (laughs) And he opens the paper to see an article's been circled, and it's Prominent Doctor Dies, Pioneer in Sleep Disorders. And it shows a photo of Saul Grisham, which is the man we saw in the opening. And the article says he died of natural causes. He was 52, and he had been a researcher of sleep disorders and neurological abnormalities related to sleep. And Mulder plays the tape, and it's a recording of Saul's 911 call. Yeah. And then his obituary also says, like, if you freeze frame on the paper and read it, which you guys know I did, right? So he is survived by his longtime companion, Paul Brown. Oh, I missed so, that. Yeah. I did freeze frame on it, but I must have missed that line. Yeah. That's sweet. And then also his obituary is surrounded by an article about the Peace Corps talking about how most of the recruits now are older and they just don't have the stamina of like younger recruits that the Peace Corps used to get. And so I don't know if that's going to play a role in the episode or if that just happens to be like that was the article in the paper that they used to like, you know, insert the as a prop thing. And so it was just there. Maybe but, it seemed like a real story. Cause talk about President Clinton and it, it, it doesn't seem like there were normal like fake stories. It seemed like a real like story. Oh, so maybe they just inserted effects, the fake one into a real paper. Yeah. And then made a copy. So they didn't have to do all the other stuff to it. So, yeah. Or so they didn't have to come up with stuff. <laughs> yeah. We'll find out. So then we cut to Skinner's office where Mulder's playing the tape for Skinner. And Mulder points out that the article makes no mention of the fire and that Grisham's job had several government contracts, meaning the Bureau actually has jurisdiction over this case. 
Mulder thinks the circumstances around his death warrant a closer look, but the NYPD won't even talk to him unless Skinner assigns him the case. So then Skinner's like, okay, where'd you get the tape? And he realizes that someone has led Mulder to believe that there's more to this case than's being reported. And Mulder's like, well, the only source I ever trusted is dead. And so Skinner agrees to look into it and he'll kind of let him know. And apparently Mulder didn't transfer to the criminal behavioral unit because now he has 24 hours of wiretap to transcribe. Well, lucky guy. Yeah. Agents have to do their own transcription. That seems like not a very efficient use of time, but okay. Yeah. I wonder if, yeah, I don't know. I wonder like, so I love Skinner, but I wonder how much he's kind of messing with Mulder (laughs) with this wiretap job. I wonder how much of it is like, I'm mad at you and you keep making me look like a jerk. So I'm going to keep punishing you for it. Yeah. I do like when, when Mulder is playing the tape for him and he's like, the newspaper didn't say anything about the fire. Skinner's like, I can read agent Mulder. (laughs) I love Skinner so much. He's great. (laughs) He really is. So then Mulder's at a computer and he's transcribing the wiretaps and an agent approaches him. He hands him a file and he tells Mulder that Skinner has approved his assignment. And Mulder's like, Oh no, there's a mistake. Another agent's name has been added to this case. And so the agent says, nope, that's me. I'm Alex Krychek. Krychek apparently opened the file two hours before Mulder. So it's technically his case. He spoke with the police and Detective Horton, who told him that a fire extinguisher was found spent on the floor and the walls and floor were covered with ammonia phosphate, which is the stuff from the fire extinguisher. But otherwise, there was no trace of a fire. And Mulder's like, nope, I work alone. I'll straighten things out with Skinner. Thanks so much. I already know all that and I don't need your help. But Krychek like insists, nope, it's my case, dude. You're not taking my case. Mm -hmm. So Mulder finally asks him to requisition a car and he's like, I'll meet you down at the carpool. Yeah. And Detective Horton actually is reprising a role, same actor, same character from Genderbender, which is interesting because that's when uh, Nicholas Leah also was in the episode. So, Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, Detective Horton is the detective they work with in Genderbender. So, so Crycheck looks like if Pee Wee Herman was an FBI agent in Twin Peaks. He's like <laughs> super like, got like, it, I don't know if it's just like, that's how he looks or if like, I don't remember him looking like that in Genderbender, but like he's got like that super crisp, like youth makeup on. And then he's wearing like the gray suit and it's not a bow tie, but it's like a red tie. And he just looks like Pee Wee Herman. I don't know. Yeah, all, he like, kind of does. Super clean cut looking and just all fresh and bright eyed. and Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Also, when Mulder's doing his transcripts, you hear the people talking and the woman in the transcript says something about, you know, I'm not just a stupid bimbo, but in the script, it actually said stupid bitch, but then they changed it to bimbo, which (laughs) bitch would sound more realistic because when you hear that, you're like, whoa, that's for TV. But I'm not sure why, because they've said bitch on the air previously in the X-Files. So I'm not sure why they changed it, but. Yeah, maybe they like to save that for dramatic moments. Or yeah, something. maybe they're only allowed so many, like, so many things to fight words. with or yeah. taking their battles or something. But I thought that was interesting because that did sound out of place when you're listening to it. And But apparently they had originally written that way. So that was... Huh. Anyway. So then we are at the FBI Academy in Quantico, Virginia. And Scully is teaching a class about how electrocution kills people. And there's a body laying, which the body's laying stomach down. So I don't know if they're going to be doing like some spinal work at some point or whatever. But the body is laying body down and got a sheet over it. And she talks about how like electrocution kills by disrupting the heartbeat and the systems. But death actually occurs from tissue damage from electricity itself. 
And then someone bursts in. It's like, Agent Scully, you have an urgent call from George Hale. <laughs> and so if you remember from Little Green Men, that is the guy who built the observatory in San Diego who saw elves. And so that's the name that Mulder used when he flew to Puerto Rico. Anyway, so she excuses herself to take the call. And of course, it's Mulder. And he tells her that he's flying to LaGuardia. And he asks her if she wants to come with him to do an autopsy for him. And she's like, I have class till 4.30. I can't. And he's like, no problem. I'll have the medical examiner wrap up the body and send it to you. You'll have it by 5 o'clock. <laughs> and she's like, uh, uh, okay, what's the name? And so, you know, he gives her the name and it's all good. Yeah, just send me all your bodies, Mulder. It's cool. Just all your corpses. I'll just stay with Well, I mean, if they're going to be secretly working together, then she's got to, you know, she can't just be all on when she wants to do it. So It's true. It's true. Yeah. So then we're at the Grissom Sleep Disorder Center in Stamford, Connecticut, and a cab is parked in front of the center, and inside Mulder's interviewing one of Grissom's colleagues, and she says his death is a huge loss to the scientific community. And Mulder asks how many sleep disorders he treated, and she says there are 38, and Grissom had an unprecedented success ratio. He did suffer from an occasional bout of insomnia himself, and Mulder asks if he ever suffered delusions. And she's like, no. And then there's a patient on the monitor and she explains that this patient suffers from a disorder that prevents him from getting REM sleep. So they're trying to alter his sleep patterns using external electrical stimulation, which creates simple auditory and visual hallucinations that might help them reach REM sleep. And Mulder's like, so it's possible to alter someone's dreams? And she says, in theory, yes. Yeah, I know I do all my FBI interviews walking down like super dark hallways. But, I mean, I guess it's a sleep center, so we got to have all the lights off, whatever. Also, though, like, they're stopping, like, the because the monitors are, like, in the hallway in front of all the patients' rooms, right? And so, like, they stop, and, like, the patient's door is open, and she's just like, blah, 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 blah. This patient, <laughs> like, like, no HEPA, right? Like, no privacy concerns. Just, like, full voice, just talking about this patient, like, with his door <laughs> open, and the patient's sitting there sleeping with a bunch of wires connected to their head. It's like, oh, my God. Okay, whatever. Well, there was no HIPAA yet, so. <laughs> oh, there wasn't none in 1994? Okay. I don't think so. I think it's pretty new. Oh, okay. So outside, Krychek gets out of a car and he marches up to Mulder and he's like, I paid off your cab. And he does, like, I don't appreciate being ditched. And he's really upset. And Krychek tells him at the academy, a lot of guys made fun of Mulder, but Krychek followed his work and he actually believes that there's more out there than they're telling us. So he's on Mulder's side. Yeah, that's kind of like Mulder just was a total dick. He told him to go get a car and then ditched him and <laughs> took a cab apparently from D.C. to Connecticut to go do the interview. That's messed up, dude. <laughs> you know, it is kind of like, I love you, Mulder, but that's a dick move. That's that a is dick messed move. up. Yeah. <laughs> so, I actually can't blame Crycheck for being upset. <laughs> Oh, oh, dear. Also, I just realized, like, Grissom lived in New York, but his clinic is in Connecticut. That's weird. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he commutes a lot. I have no idea. Yeah. It seems strange. Anyway, so after, you know, Crycheck, like, rightfully, like, rips Mulder kind of a new one about ditching him. <laughs> Mulder's phone rings, and it's Scully, and she's doing the autopsy. And she says that Grissom didn't die from cardiac arrest. And she wants Mulder to come up there, which is weird because D.C. is actually south of Connecticut. So yeah, I noticed there. that too. I yeah. Know. So she still has to finish the autopsy and she'll have more information for him then 
I'm not sure why he has to be there in person. She just can't like finish the autopsy and then tell him what's going on. Aside from the fact that they love each other and she <laughs> needs to see him in person. But Mulder says that he can make it in two hours. And then he goes to like get in the car because he's just going to leave. Like he's just going to take Krychek's car and like drive back and not even going <laughs> to whatever. But then he can't because the door is locked and Krychek is all ding, ding, ding. Like got the keys in his finger. And Mulder kind of like, oh, all right, fine. So <laughs> then we're at FBI Academy in Quantico, Virginia again. And Mulder and Krychek come in, and Scully is way in the stomach. And once again, like their prop stomach, right? Like stomachs, it's like super hard and all plastic looking, but whatever. So she's surprised to see someone else with Mulder, and then Mulder introduces him, and Scully kind of like gives him the cold shoulder. I mean, she does have like gloves on and has been handling stomach, so she doesn't shake, but she does kind of like mm, a little bit. <laughs> and then Krychek is also clearly uncomfortable with dead bodies. He's like, yeah. whoa, dead body. And so. But anyway, the dead body on the table has its arms raised up and its fist clench. And that's a pugilistic condition, which is something that's caused by fire because the larger muscles like the biceps and like the pectoral muscles from the heat, like when you cook meat, right? And like certain cuts of meat like curl up, those muscles like constrict stronger than like the triceps and the other muscles. And so like the arms come forward and then they bend and they raise and then like the fingers constrict. And so a lot of times people in fires will be looking like almost like boxing which is why it's called a pugilistic condition which he wasn't in that condition when they found him so i don't know about that they kind of didn't check that but anyway crycheck is like there's no fire though because she's all like he seems to have like all the secondary features of being burned but there's no primary features like his skin is not burned and that's and, and that's why crycheck is like well because because there's no fire and she agrees there's like no burns on the body but inside his skull there's apparently damage to the brain that is also usually caused by intense heat. And so she's like, it's as if his body believed it was burning. I don't know that it would actually work that way, but okay. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know exactly how that works, but it's definitely creepy for sure. Yeah. So then we're in Brooklyn, New York, and we see a man sitting on a sofa and he's got a beer in one hand and he's watching the home shopping network or something similar which is a clear sign of like, I can't sleep. It's late at night and I'm just sitting here watching whatever's on TV. Yeah. His eyes are red and puffy and he yawns and we see that he has a scar on the back of his neck, which is like a red puffy line. And it looks like the man who paused in the stairwell scar. Speaking of which, that man appears behind him and he says, you left the door open, Willig. And Willig calls him preacher and he's surprised to see him. And he gets up and he's like, he's actually kind of happy to see him. He's just surprised. And he's like, what are you doing here? And he offers him a beer. And Preacher's wearing the same outfit he was earlier in the stairwell. And he asks Willig how he's been. And Willig says he can't get it out of his head. He keeps seeing the faces. And Willig's like, we're all going to hell, right? And Preacher's like, where do you think we've been for the past 24 years? And Willig is kind of like, what do you want? What are you doing here? And then he accuses him of killing Grisham. And Preacher's like, well, all of us have to answer for what we did. And then a group of Vietnamese people kind of appear in the apartment and they're bloody and burned and bandaged up. And there are several small children in the group and they're all just kind of staring. And Preacher says it's all over now. And so the ghosts or whatever they are raise guns and they all shoot Willig and he slumps to the ground dead. Yeah, kind of like flies back like if he was being shot and then yes. boom, goes down. And then it's commercial time! Yay, yep. <laughs> commercials. And I have to say, like, I am the candy man. Coming from Bounty Land. 
the guy who plays Preacher is Tony Todd. He played the Candyman in the Candyman movie. Yeah. But I really like that Aqua song, Lollipop Candyman. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was, yeah, it just made me think of that. And I've been listening to um, Aqua a lot since I watched this episode. So anyway. Huh. Cool. Yeah, they're good. I used to have one of their CDs. So then we see Crycheck and he's talking over photos of the crime scene. And he says the victim's name was Henry Willig. And there's no sign of forced entry or struggle. The cause of death is listed as a burst aneurysm. And Mulder's like, why did your cop friend call you then? Because Krychek had said his like cop friend called him to give him a tip about We're assuming case. it's Detective Horton again. Probably, yeah. And Krychek says the ME called the detective because the autopsy shows 43 small internal hemorrhages and skeletal fragmentations, which just don't spontaneously happen. And so the Emmy says if he didn't know otherwise, he'd think this guy had gunshot wounds. So then Mulder asks about the scar on the back of Willig's neck. And his medical records show that his only surgery was an appendectomy. And Mulder's like, well, unless they got his appendix through his neck, that's not true. Yeah. And Krychek's like, well, it might have happened in Vietnam. They didn't really keep great records. And so Mulder picks up the file and realizes that Grisham and Willig would have been at the same base, Paris Island, at the same time, 24 years ago. So that's a connection between the victims. Yeah. So then we're at the FBI library in New York City. And apparently Henry Willig was assigned to Special Forces Recon J7. (laughs) And he was one of the 13 original members. And he is, or he was, one of two survivors, as Krychek notes, like, until yesterday. Yeah. And so there's one person who might still be able to tell them what happened. And that person is Augustus D. Cole. And also, shout out, because G.I. Joe also consisted of 13 original members. Nice. Hawk, Stalker, Scarlet, Snake Eyes, Breaker, Clutch, Rock and Roll, Steeler, Grand Slam, Flash, Short Fuse, Grunt, and Zap. Nice. So shout out to the OG 13. So then we are at the VA Medical Center in North Orange, New Jersey. They go to New Jersey a lot in the X-Files. They do. Yeah. So they're talking to the doctor who says he's been treating Cole since he was admitted 12 years ago. And he says that Cole won't be very cooperative because he doesn't respond well to authority figures. Because like there's like, oh, I'm going to ask him some questions about his military service. And so Cole has actually been put in isolation because he was disrupting the sleep patterns of the other patients. And Mulder's like, how could he do that? <laughs> like, how could he disrupt the sleep patterns of other patients? And the doctor just kind of looks at him and doesn't answer. And he's like, we're here. And they're walking down this dank hallway, right? With like low hanging pipes, like in the basement, basically. And then he opens this door that looks like it'd be like a storage shed or something. And it's a little like, it looks like a prison cell. And he opens it up and it's empty. Ooh. Yeah, all these hospitals and stuff in the show just look really awful. <laughs> like, yeah. they all look like, like, I don't want to be in a hospital on a good day in a good hospital, but all these places just look. Yeah, it's like, funny because, like, like we were, we've were we talked previously about, like, like, psych hospitals look awful. And this technically isn't a psych hospital. It's supposed to be, like, the VA. But, I mean, the VA doesn't have a great record either. And, like, I actually used to work at a hospital here that has a VA portion. And, um they actually have a hallway that looks just like the hallway they walk through oh, like no. in the basement, like going between the buildings. Cause a lot of the, cause like all separate buildings, like all the connections to the buildings are underground. They have like overground walkways, but then like a lot of the employees use the underground walkways. It looks just like that hallway. Oh no. Pretty hilarious. <laughs> so they go to the nurse's station. Cause the doctor's like, obviously like, why is he gone? Right. right. He's supposed to be in here. 
because like there's not like no window, no nothing. We're like in the basement, so there's like no window in the door. It's just right. like total isolation, like solitary confinement, basically. And the nurse is like, "You discharged Cole two days ago." And he's like, "What? I didn't do that. <laughs> I'd remember if I did that." And she's like, "Well, I was on shift, and you signed it. Unless this isn't your signature." And he looks at it, and he's like dumbfounded. And so they have a photo of Cole in the file. And so Mulder's like, okay, we need to like get this face out on the wire. And we see from the photo that that's Cole is the person that Willig was calling the preacher. Yes. And the person in the stairwell at Grissom's building. So it's the same person. And then Mulder gets a phone call while they're talking. And so it turns out it's his friend from the FBI. And so he kind of like walks around on the side to like get, you know, a little bit of privacy. Crycheck is kind of watching him like, what are you doing? Because Mulder has ditched him, you know, and tried to ditch him twice now. And so his friend at the FBI wants to give him some information that might help his work. But if anyone follows Mulder, he won't be there. So we might actually <laughs> meet this mysterious person. Maybe. Maybe. So Mulder walks into a stadium that's under construction and he kind of goes through and there's a bunch of machinery and he finds a man who's wearing a black suit kind of lurking in the shadows. And Mulder asks, who are you? And he says, who I am is irrelevant. And when Mulder asks why he's trying to help him, he says, I don't even want to be here. And he hands him a manila folder. And it's data from a top secret military project born of the idea that sleep is the soldier's greatest enemy. So basically, these are records of a sleep eradication experiment that happened on Paris Island in an attempt to build a better soldier. And this is because sustained wakefulness actually dulls fear and heightens aggression. So Mulder realizes that Willig and Cole were lab rats. And this guy, I'm going to call him X. That's what he's called in the series. Mulder has not called him X yet. We don't have a name for him, but this is, this is X. So X says, these are lab rats with the highest kill ratio in the Marine Corps. And then he says that Augustus Cole has not slept in over 24 years. And there's one more person who was part of this unit who survived. And his name is Salvatore Matola. And so he gives Mulder that information. So then Mulder asks how he can contact him. And he's like, you can't. Like, he's, he's like, no. He tells him that closing the X-Files and separating Mulder and Scully was just the beginning. The truth is still out there. And the man they both knew, Deep Throat, paid for that truth with his life. And that's not a sacrifice that X is willing to make. Yeah. Being dead is not cool. I'm guessing. I don't know. Yeah. And then apparently X was going to be Mrs. X. So the character was going to be a woman. But they shot one scene, and then the producers decided it wasn't working, so they hired Stephen Williams of 21 Jump Street fame instead. So that might account for the flash of white wrist that you spotted in that episode. Yeah, yeah I don't know if that was in, because that was in The Host. And I don't yeah. know what to do with this, but apparently, like, they filmed the scene, and then, like you said, they watched it, and they decided, like, they didn't like it. So then they shot Stephen Williams separately and inserted it. Because if you notice, there's no shots of them together. Like you see like the shadowy, like over the shoulder look of like you'll see Mulder and you'll see like a little bit of a shoulder, but you actually don't see David Duchovny and Stephen Williams in the same shot. Oh. So that does make me wonder though, like they must have shot this stuff like early because they had, because like Host went to air and that's Stephen Williams voice. So they had to dub him in possibly and then add that before season two aired. So they must have 
they must not be running like total seat of the pants for the season and me doing some work ahead of time because if they decided they didn't like the person they originally cast because they cast a woman they would have to have changed the voice as well yeah well that would mean they might have filmed her in host for that scene and then and that's the way and that's the white wrist yeah and then they dubbed Um, it over with stephen williams voice when they realized they weren't going to use her after all yeah but like because that was two episodes ago so they obviously are working a little bit ahead yeah for them to be able to fix that in time so assuming all these stories are true <laughs> but you can kind of tell it like i don't know that you would notice watching it but like knowing ahead, knowing watching it because i went back and double checked to make sure they weren't in any scenes together and they're not like it's totally like like reverse angle reverse angle reverse angle reverse angle but when you do get the over the shoulder shot and you see Mulder and you kind of see like this blurry shadowy outline it does like the shape of the person's head looks like they might have like a bob haircut or something like it's really rounded like more than just like a head would be yeah i have no idea yeah also 21 jump street was the series actually made vancouver like a filming hotspot when it was shot oh nice it it ended before the x-files started so and then I was also disappointed, like of all the locations mentioned in X Marks a Spot, one of the books we have that talks about like where things were filmed and that kind of thing. Like they don't mention this location at all. This, this like stadium under construction, not mentioned at all. They mentioned the hospital. They mention like the train station that we'll see later. They mention the Grissom facility and they mention the restaurant we're going to see in a little bit, but they don't mention the stadium at all. I guess we're just supposed to know what it's supposed to. I have no idea, but yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So Mulder drives up to the motel. So he has just met with X, right? And so he's coming back and he drives up to the motel where he and Krychek are staying. And as he pulls up, like Krychek is like on the sidewalk, is like <laughs> waving him down. And so as he pulls up, he like shoves that envelope that X gave him under the floor mat before Krychek gets in because like that's super subtle and you wouldn't want like, like to secret something away like that ahead of time, right? Like when you first got it anyway. So... Krychek tells him that someone matching Cole's description just robbed a drugstore in Queens and the police have located him to a motel around the corner. And so, and then he's like, Mulder, where were you? And Mulder like doesn't answer. And so Mulder and Krychek race up the stairs of the building. So apparently they go around the corner and NYPD are there. And Detective Horton, again, who we last saw in Ginger Bender, says that he waited for them, but he's really had a hard time holding back the SWAT team. And so they go up there. And as they're running up to the room, he's like, Cole didn't steal a dime from that drugstore. All he took was a bunch of pills. And they hear gunshots. Boom, 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 boom. Well, maybe not that many. I think there's like three, two or three. And then there's a woman that's screaming. And so Mulder and Krychek pull out their guns. And so does Detective Horton. They all run upstairs. And they're going down the hallway. And they're like, get in, get back in your room. Get back in your room. And there's like babies crying and all this kind of stuff. And then there's two officers down. And they're like doing like CPR on one of them. And Mulder looks out the window and doesn't see anyone in the street. But then we like pan from outside and we see that Cole is like inching along an edge. that's like not visible from Mulder's perspective. Right. And then Krychek comes up behind Mulder and tells him like, Mulder, these two officers shot each other. (laughs) And then commercial again. So, and I do have to wonder, like if it was around the corner and like Horton was like waiting for them and trying to hold back the SWAT team, like why didn't Krychek just run over there? Like it's around the corner. Like everyone in the FBI seems to be really bad at their jobs lately. I don't know. What's going I on. thought that too originally. But, and then I think, I think it was around the corner from where the, they had found the guy hold up. I don't think it was around the corner from the motel. Uh, okay. Maybe. I don't know. It just I don't know. Like it, it was weird. It was, yeah. It was like, cause usually they, you know, motels are usually like together, right? They kind of like cluster. Yeah. Motels. So maybe it was, I don't know. It was kind of weird. The whole thing was kind of weird. Cause like, I don't know. There's a weird. lot of weirdness in this. 
<laughs> you get some more of it later. So. so Scully has gotten a copy of the report they received from X and she's writing her own report. And she says that the report she got outlines a procedure that's designed to induce a permanent waking state. And what it does is it cuts part of the brainstem and then there's a post-op treatment with supplements to help deal with the chemical imbalances that would be caused by lack of sleep. And Cole apparently stole antidepressants, which would help regulate serotonin. And that's the primary chemical that's produced during sleep. So Scully says the procedure might have significantly reduced the patient's need for sleep, but without actual like test cases or whatever, she can't know how well it might actually work. Is she just, I forget. Is she just, is this when she's talking to Mulder or is this just her doing narration while she's writing the report? This is just her doing narration while she's writing the report. And so she's basically going through the stuff that they got from X and is kind of researching on her own, trying to verify stuff and like writing her own report on it. Okay. Yeah. And I'm, I honestly wasn't sure if like that was the report that Mulder had, I guess it's actually a copy that Mulder sent her or faxed her at some point. I don't know. But there's some confusion. Although I'm still going to call it that no one is going to make like real copies of the secret report because they're bad at their jobs and it's going to disappear. Like, prove me wrong, X-Files. I bet you're not going to, but prove me wrong. (laughs) I did like in this scene, though, there is a shot where she is typing and they cut to her and her. she's, she's wearing them Harry Potter glasses, right? Them big old round glasses she has. And they reflect to like where it's just solid blue, like you can't see her eyes from computer screen. And it reminded me of a comic, a dystopian comic from the 1980s called Mr. X, which I always think is called Mr. Sleep. And I'm not sure why. Well, I know why, because the primary character wore these like opaque round glasses and he never slept because he invented a drug that made it unnecessary. Ooh. So I'm going to say this is maybe not coincidence, especially considering that we are introduced to a character who is going to be called Mr. X in the show, Stephen Williams. So maybe someone was a fan of that comic. And so, because that is a really cool scene. And that's one of the things that was like slightly iconic about the character itself in the comic series was that he had these glasses and you never saw his eyes. I mean, you do at one point, but you never saw his eyes. So it was kind of, it was very similar to that. And just, there's a lot of little, like, you know, the, the sleep thing going on. And then Mr. X, I wonder if they're, if someone was a fan, so. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. And apparently this that is a that is a shot that a lot of people really like. It was mentioned in a couple of books I read. That nice. was a really cool shot of her, those glasses reflecting that blue light. So So then Mulder calls and he tells her that one of the officers is still in a coma, so he can't tell them what happened. And Scully tells him these reports that he sent her are incredible. Okay, but... so this is where he's talking she's talking about the reports. Okay, yeah. Gotcha. Okay, that's why I got confused. Okay. Yeah. But sleep eradication doesn't explain the officers shooting each other, especially because they weren't the ones who were devoid of sleep. And it doesn't. Well, we don't know that, but. Yeah. Well, and it doesn't explain. Well, they weren't part of the experiment. So. Right. And Mulder says that he learned what happened when you stimulate someone's cortex with electricity. And Scully's like, they experience mild visual and auditory hallucinations. Anyone who's been through first year med school knows that, Mulder. <laughs> And so Mulder asks, like, what if Cole has developed the ability to stimulate this auditory and visual hallucinations in others by projecting his subconscious? And so then Scully's like, are you suggesting Cole killed these people by projecting telepathic images? And Mulder's like, well, in all those years without REM sleep, maybe he's developed the ability to, like, externalize his dreams and alter reality. And Scully says, even if that's right, Mulder's next step should be to work up a profile and try to determine his next move. Yeah. One, she like knowledge shames him like any person in first year med school knows that Mulder. But then also when he, when he gets his theory, she's like, there's like a, a pause. She's like, 
Yeah, well, she's okay. like, even if well, that's even if right, right yeah. <laughs> what you even should if you're be doing, right, what you really need to do is <laughs> work up a profile, dude. Let's figure out what this guy's doing and what his goals are. Yeah, and then and again, while while she's talking to Mulder, Krychek is like there. He's listening because it's like Mulder's not giving him any freaking information. Like Mulder is being a dick in this episode. He totally is. So I mean, I have feelings on Krychek that color my my perception. Yeah, I, well, that's, well, that's because you know. You know things ahead. I mean, and I know I the do know too, things too, but ahead. like just from this viewing. Yeah, no, he's not being very nice to Krychek, which. No, he's not. Is kind of funny because Mulder's usually the one that no one wants to work with. Yeah. So you think maybe Mulder would be a little more understanding and forgiving, especially because like, as far as he knows, Krychek is kind of a fanboy of Mulder. And yeah, I was going to say, Krychek is walking that line of like, like he's kind of a fan of Mulder. And yet also like his hero is kind of being a dick to him. And he's having to like stand up for himself and like this is my case like you're working with me not the other way around kind of action so yeah yeah and so then Krychek gets his attention and so Mulder tells Scully they're going to check on another member of the squad and Scully makes like a little comment she's like so the new partner is working out and Mulder says he's more open to extreme possibilities and then Scully's like than I was and Mulder says than I expected him to be basically and she says, it must be nice not having someone to question your every move. And he teases her and he says, yeah, I'm surprised I put up with you for so long. And I thought that exchange was super adorable. Yeah, I was just like, get a room. Oh, my God. Like, they're like they've got like all these long like sighs and pauses. And they're as you like focus on them, they've got little coy smiles on their faces and they're talking. It's like, just do it. Like, just. Come on, people. I thought they were cute. I thought like, it was really cute. I thought it was it sweet, was. especially the whole like, oh, then I was. And Mulder's yeah, like, no, then like, I expected. You guys love each other. Just admit it. Like, come on. Anyway, so we show up at the 2J's Cafe, and there's like a truck backing up to it because it, it's apparently supposed to be like a truck stop, even though it's like in the middle of the city, which I don't know. Anyway, and it has an outside sign that advertises Chop Suey. Although none of the food being served in the restaurant or on the menu board is even close to being Asian. But anyway, so it's 2J's Cafe. Get people in there having coffee and drinking and all that kind of stuff. And the busser comes over to collect the dishes for the people who left. And Mulder and Krychek walk in. And Salvatore Matola, he's there. He notices them. And Mulder's reaching into his jacket to like get his like ID to show it. Mm-hmm. And Salvatore's like, are you guys here to shoot me? And Mulder's like, whoa, no, this is like we're FBI. We just want to ask you some questions. Like, why did you think we were going to shoot you? And he's like, I saw about the other deaths in the paper, and I thought they were finally killing all of us off. And Mulder's like, who is killing everybody off? And he kind of doesn't answer. And then they ask if he has some time for them to talk. He's like, yeah, yeah, I got time. So he's you know taking his bus bin back to the kitchen, and then he's going to come back out. And when he turns around, we see that he has that same scar on his neck. Yep. So then we cut to them all sitting at a table and Salvatore is like smoking. There's all kinds of cigarettes in the ashes. It's almost like they're talking to the cigarette smoking man. There's so many <laughs> cigarettes in the ashtray and they would probably get along. Maybe who knows? And so he's telling about the experiment. <laughs> Cause the cigarette smoking man would want this guy eradicated. So he didn't like spread it. Well, I mean, the cigarette man may have been why this guy exists. Who knows? Yeah. But um, yeah. So he tells them that they told them that it would be like living two lifetimes, not having to sleep, right? And it's like, at first it was. Like, nothing could touch them. They did 24-hour patrols, night ambushes, because they're this is they're in Vietnam, right? So they're like soldiers in Vietnam. And he's Mulder asked, like, you never got tired? It's like, nah, we never got tired. I mean, not enough that you needed to sleep and nothing that the pills couldn't fix. 
And then Mulder's like, serotonin? And he's like, yeah, serotonin. But then the entire squadron went AWOL, apparently, and stopped taking orders. And they just made up their own missions as they went along. And, you know, Krychek is, like, taking notes. And he's asking questions, too. I think Krychek's the one who asked about, like, your entire squad went AWOL. And he's like, yeah, you could say that. And then he says they just started killing anybody they wanted to, like farmers, women. And then he talks about a school in Fubai. And he just says, like, they were all just kids. So we're assuming they killed a bunch of kids. And Mulder tells them that they suspect Augustus Cole may be behind the murders. And he tells them, like, oh, we called him a preacher because he was always reading his Bible and, like, you know, reciting Bible verses. And he had been reciting Bible verses when Willig was killed, like, when that was happening. Yeah. He started, like, giving scripture. And that he always said that one day they would have to pay for what they were doing. And so Mulder asked him, well, then why was Grisham killed? He wasn't part of the squad. And so I was like, of course he was. Like, he's the one who made us who we are. And then he says he and that other doctor, and they're like, what are the doctor? He's like, Dr. Uh, Girardi, Dr. Girardi. He's the one who actually did the surgeries on us. And it's because of him that I haven't slept a night in 24 years. Yeah, that's intense. That whole scene I thought was really good. Like, I kind of liked how he. No, it was pretty, it was pretty good. Explained yeah. it. And yeah, it made sense. It was good. And like all the others, he's got like, you know, circles under his eyes and he's kind of all, you know, like obviously like probably constantly smoking because of like, you know, whatever's going on with the not being able to sleep. Like, obviously, there are some side effects to not sleeping for 24 years. Yeah. So everyone's not doing super fine because even <laughs> even even the preacher has got like dark circles and puffy red eyes and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, absolutely. So then we're on the Long Island Expressway and Mulder and Krychek are sitting in traffic. And Krychek asks why Cole would go after Girardi. And Mulder says that Cole sees himself as this avenging angel. And so he's writing all the wrongs from their past. And Krychek's like, well, why now all of a sudden? And Mulder says the Fubai massacre was one of the biggest in history and no soldiers were ever charged. And the anniversary of that massacre was two days ago. And then Scully calls Mulder and she found Professor Girardi. He's coming to New York for Grisham's funeral. And he's arriving by train. So she kind of knows where he's going to be. So Mulder asked her to have a photo of Girardi at the security desk at the train station so they know who they're looking for and they're going to head over there. Yeah, hopefully, because they're stuck in traffic. Yeah, oh yeah. They Mulder like, looks at his watch at one point. I know, yeah, no, it does not look fun. Yeah, it's interesting because I was like, I was already writing notes about this. I was like, so obviously they're going like for a fictional version of like the, the Miley massacre, mm -hmm. which happened on March 16, 1968. And then as I was writing that, Mulder says like, it was even bigger than the Miley massacre and no one was even charged, which then I'm like, okay, well now that actually goes from like making a fictional version to being kind of gross because you're claiming something fictional is even worse than something that was really horrible in like real life. So I was kind of like, uh, no, I wasn't that comfortable. Well, I think they're that, just but... using that as a reference like this. Yeah. But then to say that it was even worse than that when like Miley is like one of the things that people talk about as like one of yeah. the worst incidents of the Vietnam war. And then to have this fictional version that was even worse was kind of like, I was kind of like, they're trying to tell you okay, how bad whatever. it was, but yeah, I could see why that would make you feel kind of gross and weird. So they finally get to Bronx Station. Apparently, they finally get through traffic. And Mulder gets the photo from the security desk. And he and Krychek kind of run for the train area. And they both kind of study the photo of Girardi and then look around. And we see Preacher is there. And he's on a payphone. And he's probably pretending to make a call. And he's also kind of looking around. And then Mulder spots Girardi in the crowd. And so he's, like, heading towards him to grab him. And then Cole comes up behind Girardi. 
And Mulder draws his gun because he sees that Cole is holding something. So it looks like Cole's holding a gun. So Mulder draws his gun and tells Cole to drop his weapon. But Cole shoots Girardi twice. And then he shoots at Mulder. And Krychek runs over and sees Mulder unconscious on the ground. And then we get another commercial. No, stupid commercial. More ads. Let's all go to the bathroom. <laughs> Let's all go to the bathroom. Anyway, so I do wonder, and this is going to kind of come up and explain, but like when you're watching it, like, dude, how did Cole get behind Girardi? Like he was at the phone, like outside the gates and Mulder's on the opposite side of the platform, but yet Cole got all the way to the other side of the platform and around the backside of the train to be behind Girardi. I guess we're actually going to get an answer to that. But at the yeah. time I was like, what? Yeah. But, it's it's yeah. a little like, whoa. Yeah. We come back from the bathroom and from commercial and Krychek runs over to Mulder and rolls him over. And Mulder's like, Girardi, he like, you know, jumps up and Krychek's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Girardi wasn't even here. Like, no, Girardi's not here. And Mulder's like, no, he was. I saw him and Cole was behind him. And, and he's like, no, Mulder, like you were just like waving your gun around, <laughs> yelling at people. And there was no one here. Like you almost like you scared the crap out of people. And Mulder's like, no, no, I saw him. And Cole shot him. And Krychek's like, no, that did not happen. Like, I'm sorry. So, <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh Oh, so, that so that kind of explains why Cole was behind him because he wasn't apparently Mulder is losing his mind. Yeah. Mulder's seeing things that aren't there. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then we're at the Metropolitan Transit Authority at Bronx Station. And so Mulder's there with the NYPD and they have the security tapes pulled up and they're in like kind of the area with like, there's a bunch of monitors to watch the security tapes. And he's got photos of both Cole and Girardi taped up so they can go through the tapes and kind of look for these faces in the crowds. And he tells them they need to study the tapes and find these two. And Krychek's like, hey, Mulder, can we talk for a second? And so he kind of pulls them aside and he asks what happened, and he's like, look, I'm covering for you, but I need to know what's going on. And Mulder's like, well, my theories aren't usually very popular. And Krychek's like, I want to believe, but I need a place to start. Which, of course, like, that's the magic words for Mulder. Like, I want to believe. So Mulder tells him his theory about Cole manipulating reality and perceptions. And then one of the officers calls them over. And there's this car that has appeared on one of the cameras that wasn't there moments before near track 17. Yeah, and I was confused because I thought they were looking at the old tape from when Mulder saw Girardi, and they were trying to find proof that what Mulder saw, like, to make sure they were there or weren't there. That's mm -hmm. what I thought they were doing. But I guess they're actually looking at current, like, live tape to see what's going on, see if they're possibly there. I was kind of confused in that scene. So, Or maybe they're doing both, or I don't know. I thought the exact same thing, because I actually had to rewind it and double-check, because when they first said the car had appeared and then wasn't there earlier, I thought maybe that... Like, that was where Cole had parked to, like, get to the train. I don't know. But, like, I was confused, too, because I thought that's what they were doing. Yeah. Checking the tapes. And then, like you said, I realized, like, oh, they're actually looking at the current tapes, trying to find where they actually are, not if they were actually there when Mulder yeah. claims they were there. Yeah. It was weird. And so then we're in a train yard warehouse building kind of right off where the train tracks are. And Dr. Girardi's there. And Preacher is there with him. And Girardi's like tied up kind of and he says he was just following orders and he mentions that all the soldiers volunteered for the procedure so it's not like he forced anything on anyone and then a door opens and preacher's like just kind of standing there and girardi preacher's actually getting out like scalpels and kind of laying them out <laughs> mm -hmm. 
And Gerardi's like, who's there? Who's there? And he can't see without his glasses. And Cole's like, you don't need your glasses to know who's there. And then shadows appear. And then all these soldiers march around him and in front of him. And they all grab scalpels. And Gerardi's just like tied up and freaking out. Yeah. And one of the first ones that comes around to get a scalpel is actually Willig. Right. And then the rest, we don't see their faces because we don't need to because we've never met them. Right. So, they're just. Yeah. Right. And at one point, Cole hits him. Like, I think when he says, like, like, I was just following orders and like everyone volunteered. I think Cole, like, and he like smacks him like liar kind of thing. And then, you know, Cole's also like doing a lot of his like, you know, scripture talking. Yes. During the scene also. Yeah. So, yeah. If you think about soldiers who are in the military and they're in this like unit, I mean, I'm sure they volunteered. I'm not saying they didn't, but like how much are choice did they really have there might have been a lot of pure yeah like what's, what's the level like, of consent there like, right exactly because yeah. it's kind of like well they volunteered but what were you know they were told this this and this and they might not have had that much of a real choice yeah. they may have volunteered for something and not known what they were actually volunteering for right exactly so, like with what they agreed to was not what actually occurred right like oh we're gonna we're going to give you some stuff to help you be stay, better. Stay awake. Tell you Kim. all the details. Yeah. Now you'll never sleep again. Super great. Yeah. Yep. Not informed consent. Yeah. Possibly. There we go. About. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. There is a difference between consent and informed consent. Yeah. So, yep. so Mulder and Krychek drive up. They get there and they park and they get out. And so then they hear a scream and they rush inside. And Mulder sees some glasses on the ground. And so, of course, he picks them up with his bare hands and looks at them. <laughs> And then he puts them back down and then they're flashing light again and they see a trail of blood on the ground and the trail of blood leads to Girardi. And he's like slumped over. He's still tied to this beam. He's all unconscious. And Mulder's like, looks and he's got like this wound on the back of his neck. So they kind of like did the same thing to him, I guess is what's happening. But Mulder's like, he's still alive. So then he yells at Krychek to put pressure on Girardi's wound and to radio for help like simultaneously because Mulder's going to run off and look for Cole. Right. So... And so we see, like, Krychek, like, trying to put pressure on on Girardi's neck. And then also Simon says, like, hi, hi, Major Krychek, I need help. Like, <laughs> dude, like, like Mulder, you could have helped out a little more than that. Anyway. <laughs> so he, like, so he, this scene, I have a lot of trouble with this scene. Okay. I have a lot of trouble with this scene. So it's magically daytime now. Yes. <laughs> because we cut to Cole, and he's, it had been previously pitch black when they drove up. But now... And there, but then also when Girardi was having the soldiers come and get him, there was like sunlight streaming through the boards. And so like, it was like, there was sunlight streaming through the boards because they were like kind of underground or in a warehouse. And then when Mulder and Krychek drive up, it's dark outside, but then now it's sunlight again, because we see Cole standing at the edge of like the building. It looks almost like it's like a building under construction or being destroyed. Cause like, it's all like boards and stuff and he's looking down and there's this big piece of metal sticking up on the ground and the mm-hmm. camera focuses on it so we might get an impaling <laughs> i don't know but then Mulder comes up behind him and tells him to step back from the edge and so cole turns around and says shoot me please and and then it might be night again because like before cole was lit and it was like nice ambient light like he was well lit on all sides but now he's got like that really contrast light and like the light isn't yellow anymore it's like white and then he's in shadow so it's almost like there's like building lights or moonlight i don't know so we switch back to night again and Mulder's like no like i'm not here to shoot you so Mulder puts his gun on the ground and he says i just want to talk to you for a while and then it also maybe becomes daytime again 
when we cut again to Cole and Cole's like, I'm tired. Like, you know, my blood's boiling inside my veins and he's crying. He's obviously upset. And he says like, they cut out a piece of my brain. They made me into someone else. And he's like, I can never get back what they took from me, but I can stop them from taking any more. And then Krychek appears behind Mulder with his gun drawn. And Mulder's like, Krychek, get out of here. Put your gun down. Get out of here. What are you doing? So again, Mulder being kind of a dick. But then Cole raises his hand. And from Mulder's point of view, Cole is just holding his Bible up. Right. But then we cut from behind Mulder and we see that Cole is pointing a gun. And we don't know if he's pointing at Mulder or if he's pointing at Krychek. So we're getting like Krychek point of view. And so Krychek shoots twice and Cole falls and they run over and he's laying there and his last words are good night. And so he's finally able to sleep, right? Because he's dying. And then it's also definitely daytime now. And then they did fake us out with the impalement foreshadowing, but okay, whatever. So Krychek is like, he had a gun. He had a gun. And Mulder's like, yeah, you did the right thing. It's, it's fine. Yeah. And then we and then we pan over and then we see the only thing laying on the ground is a Bible. Right. So in a way, like Mulder's like, you did the right thing, which he, in a way, maybe kind of did because he could have had a gun, even though he didn't. But then also maybe Mulder's saying he did the right thing because he allowed Cole to finally like be out of the nightmare life that he's had. Yeah. So. I think it's probably both. I think he's... He realizes that telling Krychek that he didn't have a gun isn't going to help anything. Like at this point, it doesn't yep. matter. And he knows what Krychek probably saw was a gun. And so, and then also, like you said, like now Preacher can sleep and they can all sleep and it's all over. So, yep. So then we cut and they're like, you know, down back on the ground and there's like sirens, there's cops there now and everything. And Mulder's getting into his car to leave and it's apparently night again. Maybe it's like super early dawn, but it's definitely dark again. I don't know. I kind of give up at this point. Like this, I, the lighting here is super weird. And the world is obviously like hurtling out of orbit and spinning erratically and the sun's just randomly appearing and disappearing in this scene. So he reaches under the mat and notices that the report is no longer there where he put it a few days ago so like did he forget he gave it to scully which i thought he gave it to scully but it turns out maybe he gave her a copy or faxed her a copy but then also why is he even keeping it in under the mat of the car it's like not even his personal car it's an fbi car like i don't understand why it would still be there like why would you still have it there yeah i don't know i mean he did send scully a copy we learned that later but i don't know yeah this why scene, he would keep like it I under said, the mat like i said this is the scene that made me upset in the episode just because, like, the constant, like, it's daytime, it's nighttime, it's daytime, it's nighttime. And it should have been a really good scene. It should have been a really powerful scene. It kind of was a powerful scene, but I kept being ripped out of the scene by, like, oh, it's daytime, oh, it's nighttime, oh, it's daytime, oh, it's nighttime. And then, like, oh, Mulder is still keeping this top-secret report under, like, an FBI car that he apparently has to requisition every time they go somewhere. So, like, what do you get? I don't well, know. Well, they're staying at a motel, so they have the car for now. And maybe he just didn't have a good place to put it where Krychek wouldn't find it. So maybe that's, but like, yeah, I don't know. I thought that he had sent it to Scully too. So I was kind of confused why he even still would have had it. Cause I'm like, well, Scully has it. And then we learned later, like he sent her a copy. I'm not sure how that yeah. would have worked. Yeah. And Locke obviously agrees with me. He says this episode is not. 
<laughs> going well either. I heard him complaining. He was saying, yes, Nick, you were right. Yeah, he got <laughs> shut out of the bedroom because he wouldn't stop attacking Billy. So <laughs> now the bedroom door is closed and Billy's in there and he can't get in. And he's, yeah. yeah. Luck and Billy are cats, by the way. Yeah, they're, they're, cats. Yeah, they're being so, jerks today. Yes. I don't know why. They're normally fine. And then as soon as we started recording, they decided they had to have a turf war for some reason. Yeah. So I don't so know. Instead of making Tori repeatedly redo her lines, I am just gonna we're gonna run with it. It's so, fine. Yes. I listen to podcasts all the time that have cats in the background. I'm always like, Kitty. So if you if you like cats, you're welcome. If you don't like if you cats, don't, I'm sorry. What's wrong with you? Yeah. So but it, it's fine. Sorry about that. I don't know how people do anything with children because with cats around, I feel like I can never get anything done. I can't even imagine. Anyway, so we're at FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C. And Scully tells Mulder that someone broke into her office and he stole her copy of the report, too. So, And they also went through the files on her computer. So presumably they deleted any digital backups she had of the report. And without the report, Skinner isn't going to authorize an investigation. And Mulder says the man who leaked the report to him said it's never been more dangerous and they've never been in graver danger. And Scully asks if Mulder trusts him. And Mulder kind of doesn't really answer. I don't think Mulder knows at this point whether he should trust X or not, which is fair. Like, he doesn't really know the guy. So that's yeah. fair. Again, like, no one stashes copies places. They just... Yeah, well, she did make a digital copy, and she also had her own report, but that got yeah, deleted. Like, make a cop, like, mail yourself a copy, <laughs> like, put it in a, like, locker somewhere. Yeah. Like, you know... I don't know. It just seems like they're really good at having things stolen. Yeah. Also, I. what is Skinner supposed to authorize for them to investigate? Like, they're already on. It's the same case. Like, what else would they be? What else would he be authorizing? I guess an investigation into, like, the experiment in Paris Island or something. But I don't know how they would investigate it more. It seems like that would just be part of the same case, though. They would yeah. They would have to get more authorization. I don't know. But. Yeah, I don't know either. So then we cut to a room <laughs> and the cigarette smoking man is looking at the report and it looks like the one that Mulder had. And he's sitting at a conference table with two other men and he asks where Mulder got the report. And there's someone else in the room on the other side of the table. And that person that we can't see yet. And that well, we can hear them. We can hear them. And I don't know about anybody else who watch television, but I'm really good at recognizing voices. I am too. A lot of people aren't. I don't know. I think it's yeah. whether you have an ear for it or not. Some people are good at it. Some people, for some reason, it just doesn't. Anyway. But anyway, this mysterious person says that Mulder either found another source or another source found him. And then, of course, we see this person is Agent Krychek. So surprise, surprise. If you did yeah. not recognize his voice, you might be surprised. And then Krychek tells the cigarette smoking man he's outlined several countermeasures to kind of neutralize Mulder, I guess. And then mm -hmm. the cigarette smoking man asks about Scully. And Krychek says reassigning them has only strengthened their determination and they're still working together. And Krychek says Scully is a problem. And then the cigarette smoking man says every problem has a solution. And that's mm -hmm. the end. Super ominous. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. It does bring up the question once again, why are Mulder and Scully still alive? Like seriously. It's not like they're like super elusive and they just keep slipping through like the cigarette smoking man's fingers. It's like they're barely competent at this point and yet they're still alive. Like, just kill them. I'm sorry. I realize that would ruin the show, but if this was real life, they would be dead. 
It would, yeah, it would definitely ruin the show. I don't know. Maybe there's some bureaucratic reason where, like, it would be too suspicious to kill Mulder, and so they can't do that. Know. They killed Deep Throat. Yeah, but maybe he wasn't as I don't know. We don't even know what Deep Throat's role was, so we don't even know. Yeah. It was I. I was slightly taken aback when Mulder when he's ta- when Mulder's talking to Skinner, and he's like, "The only person I ever trusted was killed," and it's like that might be giving things away. Yeah. I mean, we don't know if we can trust Skinner, so I don't know if it's... Well, not only that, but just, like, that might be a connection that's easy to make of, like, who was recently killed? Who might have possibly been Mulder's, like, connection? And then, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So I was going to ask you, I was going to ask you about this, actually. I see your note, but I'm I'm going to cut in and preemptively ask you. So when I saw this, I had forgotten that we got the Crycheck reveal so quick. Like I had forgotten that it was very immediate that we learned that Crycheck is not. Uh-huh. And I was yeah. going to kind of ask you what you thought about that and what you thought about Crycheck as a whole. Yeah. I, w- and that's my note. My note right here <laughs> is like too soon. Like they should have gave us like Crycheck is like, we talked about a little bit, like, like he's the young agent, right? Like he's fresh faced. He's young. He's possibly working with like, you know, dealing with maybe like some hero stuff going on possibly, but also having like to establish him and prove himself because his hero is not really being very nice to him. And it's like, it would have been nice to get more of that. Right. Yeah. And not just be like, here's someone. And then by the end of the episode, like, Oh, and they're a mole. Like, okay. Like hold on to your cards a little longer dudes before like laying them on the table. Like, yeah. I think it might have been nice if they had waited a little longer. I suspect it was like, we've got to up the stakes. We've got to up the stakes. So we have to show that this guy working with Mulder is not really on Mulder's side, but it would have been yeah. more dramatic. I mean, it, it took them two episodes to reveal who X was. We right. first get X in hosts, episode two, and then we meet him in episode four, right? So they, they delayed right. that a little bit. But yeah, like, it's like, it just, it, it, it kind of just like, there's no, it don't, like, it would have been. I, don't, I this relates to something that I was thinking about before I saw this episode and then when I saw it it reemphasized it and like I'm developing this head canon because we haven't you know I obviously I stopped watching in season 1 so to me like I know some of the stuff I know some of the stuff about X-Files just because you couldn't not know about the X-Files right it was so popular that you, you right. just heard stuff you know about things right but like I didn't watch I haven't watched anything since season 1 so like these episodes like watching them is new to me even though I do have some knowledge of what's going on or what may be happening with certain characters in the future and what have you but in my head canon that I'm kind of developing I have this idea of what if like many seasons later we were to find out that Scully is actually a mole. And this Ooh. whole time, like, you know, like, you know, like they could fall in love and, you know, get married or ha- even have kids or whatever. Right. But the whole time she is still like, she is one of like the cigarette smoking man's agents and just, and, and like, Ooh. she's like the competent one. So like her sometimes incompetence is actually like super competence because she is totally playing it the whole time that would be kind of cool. And that, and that's what this reminded me of. It was like, we, like we should have give us a little bit more of that and then spring it on us. Right. But like in one episode, it's like, that's just too quick. I'm sorry. There's like, no, I don't know. It just kind of steals it away. Yeah. I kind of wish that they had, I mean, I don't remember what the rest of the season is like, so it'll be interesting, but I do think it would have been nice if we had believed Crycheck really was like 
this young guy who idolizes Mulder and wants to find the truth and is like on his side for a while before we get the reveal that he's yeah not. because so I'm wondering really- at what point it's gonna become like necessary for us to know like we're actually gonna see him doing something like this scene could not exist and we don't know right. and we just see like the cigarette smoking man with the paper and he's talking to someone. And you know we hear, and maybe like maybe try and disguise their voice a little bit so we don't know. Or maybe it doesn't even have to be Krychek. He could be talking to someone else. Like we got, you know, our informant. Yeah, like those three dudes, like because he has two dudes on the side of them, and then yeah. like Krychek is at the end of the long table, right? And so yeah, they could just be discussing it. Like, do we need to know that Krychek is a mole, right? At this point, like at what right. point? At what point would it be necessary to show him actively working against Mulder? And then maybe that's when you reveal it, right? And he yeah. can even maybe do some things that look sketchy, but we don't reveal it. And you're like, why is he doing like what was that? Right. Like things, some things that are kind of like ambiguous, like, you know, oh, I can see why he's doing that, but also that does seem weird. Or like maybe some right. So in retrospect, yeah, you're so like, like, oh. and then you're like, oh, that's why he knew what was going on here, even though Mulder never mentioned anything or something like that, right? And then you're like, oh, right. like it was all in plain view the whole time. I just didn't put the pieces together. And they're just like, nope, look, here's the puzzle completed. There you go. <laughs> I bought you a puzzle and put it together for you. Enjoy. That's what they did. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is too bad. I kind of wish that they had. And I did not remember that it was that quick either. I kind of thought we we thought Krychek was a good guy for a little bit longer, but I guess not. So, <laughs> okay. Anyway. Yeah. So Howard Gordon wrote this episode and he attributes the inspiration as being a two-week bout of insomnia that he suffered. Yeah, and my note here was like two weeks. What an amateur. So. I yeah, I, I go through phases. So, yeah. yeah. Also, apparently, this was insomnia that was induced by the fact that the original script he wrote for this episode was trash, and he realized it was trash, and everyone told him it was trash, but he needed to come up with an episode, and so he was really stressing out about it, because this is his first thing written by himself, because remember, because Alex Gonza right. doesn't work with him, although they do work together later, but like they, he left for some reason, and so this is his first like solo episode, because he also wrote, the other one he previously wrote was with Chris Carter. So this is his first solo episode and the first one he wrote wasn't any good. And like James Wong told him what wasn't good. And Chris Carter <laughs> told him it wasn't good. And so he was stressed out about that. And that's why he wasn't sleeping was because he had written a bad episode. And that's so, so harsh. That's got to suck. <laughs> like you write this episode, you're like, okay. Well, when he realized that the way it's written, when, what I read was that he realized it wasn't good. Right. And then he went to them and was like, this isn't good, right? And they were like, yeah, it's not good. You're right. <laughs> well, he also probably wanted some, like, help. Like, okay, how can I yeah. make this better? Because, you know, yeah, if you've written something and you know it kind of sucks, the best thing you can do is take it to a friend and be like, okay, I know this kind of sucks, but what, what can I do to fix it? Yeah. Yeah. So I did do a little bit of a deep dive on the record holder for the most time a human has gone without sleep. Cause I was curious, obviously it has not been 24 years. That would be impossible. I think you would die. I think there's actually a sickness that keeps you awake and then you die from lack of sleep. Yeah. And you die, you die like within a year. Yeah. yeah. I read some cases about that where like someone had something and they, it was preventing them from sleeping and like they died like within nine months. Yeah. So. I saw it on house, which is <laughs> a very reliable oh. source. Oh, well there. <laughs> All, all my knowledge in life is just from TV. That's my secret. <laughs> I'm just a TV junkie. So anyway, but the record holder, it used to be the Guinness. So this confused me because as I looked it up, like there were a couple different things about Guinness having different record holders. But anyway, Guinness stopped tracking this a while ago because they don't want people to attempt to break the record. Because it's bad for you. <laughs> so the 
Guinness World Record holder for the most time a human has gone without sleep is a man named Randy Gardner. And he stayed awake for 11 days and 25 minutes or 264.4 hours. And he achieved the record when he was 17 years old, which makes sense to me because when I was younger, like 19, 20, 21, 22, I could like stay up all night and just go to work the next day. And I was yeah. not. Also, ready. one of the things that he did was he stayed active the entire time. So he was constantly moving. Yes. And he had Never people with him. Yeah, he was constantly moving because you need to be mobile because once you like if anyone who's like super tired know like once you sit down you're you're done. Yeah. So. And yeah, so like I said Guinness no longer tracks it. The record has since been beaten by people who have attempted it, but like Guinness isn't keeping track anymore. And Guinness does actually have a record for a woman who stayed awake longer though because she was part of a rocking chair competition. And so she was awake or mostly awake for 449 straight hours rocking in that a rocking chair. That seems a little long. That's like almost 20 days. Yeah. And I'm wondering how much, like, it's not really the record for being awake. It's the record for being, you know, rocking a rocking chair. So I wonder if she, like, dozed off a couple times. I wouldn't be surprised yeah, if she. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know about that. But anyway, the longest I've ever been awake was, like, 48 hours. And it was... I was working at a Starbucks in San Diego and my coworker's like, you want to go to Mexico? And I was like, sure. And then we ended up not going to Mexico. We went to Hollywood and we went to this hotel room where we made t-shirts and we went to a taping of the Price is Right. And we sat oh. through two episodes. You can actually see me in the background of a couple of these episodes, the episodes we watched taped. Is this a Bob Barker episode? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, okay. I was really young. I was like 19. This is a really irresponsible thing to do. I just got in a person's car and went to <laughs> And um, yeah, we went to the taping and then we walked around Hollywood and then we went to dinner and like, I don't know, I ended up being up for like 48 hours and it was a wild time. But that I think is the longest I've ever been awake and I was wrecked afterwards <laughs> and I was very young. So I could not do that now. My longest, I think, is a little more than three days. Oh, wow. Because I, it's a, I think I was like, I don't know, I was in my either late, I think I was in like in my late teens um what I, it's weird because what i what i seem to remember doing during that time doesn't match the time frame of me being that age so I'm, i may be conflating ideas together but i know it was like my parents and my brother went somewhere and i was old enough to where i could stay home by myself okay right and so i stayed up the entire weekend like friday saturday sunday into monday right so like three days and just like watch TV and ate things that I probably should not be eating and just basically just screw in around all over the place. And I finally got to the point where I like, they were like things crawling on me. Like I was seeing like things crawling on my oh, skin. Oh God. Just like, just like, just totally like hallucinating and finally just had to give up. But I was just like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So I want to say it was like 16 or 17. I don't know 16 and 17 was a rough time for me. I also caught the chicken pox for the second time Ooh. when I was 16. And I found out that I caught them when I was staying with my stepbrother in Las Vegas in August and his wife was pregnant. So that was fun. Oh man. And yeah, so that was cool. Although that's also when I saw Transformers the movie when it came out in 1986. So that was good. But um yeah, so in that fr I yeah, a lot of weird stuff going on there. In my memory, I'm old now, so I don't remember shit. Yeah, I know. So. <laughs> I don't even, I don't remember stuff that I did like 10 years ago. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> my friends yeah. tell me, I'm like, that probably happened. I don't have any recollection, but I don't, I'm old. I don't know. Yeah. 
what made this episode made me think of the Russian sleep experiment, mm-hmm. which is not a real thing. It's actually like a creepypasta from I think like 2010. But and then they've made a couple, I think they made like a couple of movies about it as well. But it's like a you know, a Russian sleep experiment gone wrong and everyone like murders each other and just crazy stuff. So it's relatively interesting as a story. It's like it was like part of a thing to like create a new urban legend kind of thing as so people were you know, like in creepypasta they submit stories I and mean, that's where like the slender man came from right yeah so, yeah so but it was it was it's a recent it seems like it would be older because i mean the story is about like you know the story supposedly took place like in the 1940s but it's a relatively recent phenomenon it's like barely like a decade old hmm. the story so it seems like one of those things that have that you've heard about forever yeah it does uh, and they probably just draw from other little things so. oh yeah i'm sure it's inspired by story and you know like this episode which is in my my brain somewhere and so if someone said something about an experiment to keep soldiers awake i'd be like i've heard of that you know yeah well then also like i said like there's the whole like you know like the comic mr x where like you know he doesn't sleep and i want to say i may be making this up like i really like that comic it's like from i think it was like from 1983 to 1990 or early 90s somewhere in there but like it was there was a big like an independent comic it was published by vortex originally i believe okay um I want to say, and I may be making shit up now, but I want to say that, like, because he's, like, the architect of the city, and then he, like, injects himself with this drug. I think he injects it into his eyeballs, Ooh, and which is why he wears the glasses all the time. But, like, it doesn't, you know, he doesn't have to sleep, and so it's, like, it's dystopian, so, like, he's, you know, trying to keep save the city and control or whatever. I want to say the city is, like, Somnopolis or something like that. Like, <laughs> you know, like, Metropolis, but with Somnolism, like, so, like, Somnopolis or something i could be making it up i don't know but it seems like that would be a cool name for a city or for a guy who doesn't sleep but uh yeah anyway i guess we need to do oh man i i do feel bad because i was ranty as hell in this episode i realized i was ranty as hell in the episode but i just there were parts of this episode that i just made me upset yeah i mean that's fair it's not i liked it a lot i thought it was it was scary to me, especially like the fire part at the beginning that terrified me. And I'm pretty sure that gave me nightmares when I watched it the first time. Like, I'm pretty sure that's why that scene stuck in my head so much. Cause like, I'm sure. The it's fire scary. is really well done. Yeah. And I like Mulder and Scully in this episode. I think they're cute. I think they're going back and forth about the new partner is adorable. I love that. I know. It's just like, just, just I don't know. It's like that thing of like, you know, like all those episodes back, like, like when you're watching Moonlighting, you're like, yes, banter, haha, you guys just, get over it with it it's like it's, it's a slow burn it's a slow burn yeah i don't um, have time for that now i'm old just do it like. <laughs> I, I so i like it but um i don't know like and i thought the episode was like i thought it was pretty good i'm gonna uh, i think i'm gonna give it a six. Oh, another six okay yeah i think because like what did i give blood did i give blood a five or a six i don't remember <laughs> i think you gave it a five okay yeah i'm gonna give this one a six I liked it better than blood. I thought it was good. Plus, like, I don't know. It's like, oh, cry check. Oh, cigarette smoking man. Yeah, like, you, these are people I host, recognize. You gave so. host a six. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah. I think it was six. Maybe I lowballed yeah. little green men. <laughs> I thought I've said a lot more than these. Anyway, it's fine. Um, I don't know. You gave little green men a seven. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. You've gone. You've actually, it's been like seven, six, five, and then now you're going back up to six. Okay. Yeah. All right. I hmm, I think I'm going to go with a four again. Okay. I gave blood. And the reason why is because like there was a lot of stuff that bothered. This episode should have been good. 
Yeah. Uh, there were good parts of it. A lot of the acting is very good in it. And a lot of the, like, uh, the big scene with Mulder and Cole should have been awesome. Except for I kept being ripped out of it right. by them not knowing what time of day it was. It was just irritating. And I don't know if that was because they had to shoot it, like, multiple times. Or if, did they not shoot, like, Cole and Mulder at the same time? Like, they didn't do with, like, Mulder and Mr. X? Like, did they shoot those separately and then splice them together? And that's why this, but like, but like even Cole's lighting is off, like in the, op in the opening part where he's looking out over like the debris of the building, that kind of stuff. And he's, we see that big metal spike, which I totally thought he was going to get shot and then fall onto it. Right. That's mm -hmm. what I thought was going to happen. Cause they linger on that pipe sticking up out of the ground. But like, it's, it's daytime there. He's lit ambulant. He's, he's warmly lit. Right. It's like warm lighting. And then we cut to Mulder finding him and we see Cole and he's like, cold harsh light lit like with like moonlight or like really white lights and it's very contrasty and then we cut back to like it being warm again and then it's like nighttime again and it's like just make up your mind like i don't know what the problem was with the lighting in this like why it was like that right it just irritated me and then just a lot of the details of like you know why wouldn't you put that away molar instead of like waiting like like Crychek is gonna see you reaching down when you're putting that under the mat. Well, I don't think he was expecting Crychek to right be there. on the sidewalk. Well, like, I know, but you, it wasn't like it wasn't <laughs> like he met Mr. X like a block away. I like, know, you, I know. You've been given this super secret document, and you're just like holding it in your hand or having it laying on the seat the whole time. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, go get rid of it before you go meet Crychek. Before you go back, do something. I don't know. And then, like, the whole confusion of, like, is Scully looking at the real report? Like, we actually don't get, in the things I read, they said that Mulder faxed her a copy of it. Yeah. They don't do that. They don't say that in the episode. We're never clear whether she's looking at the original, and then Mulder gets it back and puts it back under the mat, which is what I thought was happening. Until, like, after the episode, I went back and was reading through some of my books to see what was going on. And someone mentioned, like, oh, Scully is looking at the copy that Mulder faxed her. And I'm like... Okay, that maybe that was in the script and they just didn't show that. I don't know. I wish they had just like a throwaway line where Scully's like in the report Mulder faxed over. You know what I mean? Just so like we knew yeah, that he like, still had a copy. Like the, yeah, like that like that report you faxed over Mulder, it's incredible. Like that could have been Right. You know, because it yeah. was confusing when he looked under the mat and you're like, Well, Scully has it. So Yeah, and it was like <laughs> that was days ago. Like days have obviously passed since you put that under the mat. Has it been under the mat the whole time? Like, what are you doing? Oh, and I liked X. Especially like in this episode. Sorry, I no. just forgot to say that. Yeah, no, he's good. I mean, he was good in 21 Jump Street. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, the whole Matt thing is. And yeah, there were some issues. I don't know. I just like the cast. So I think that, you know, it's got Skinner, it's got Secret it's got X, Mulder and Scully. I'm giving it points for that. Yeah. Our distinctions always go with Tori likes the characters. Mm hmm. And I am all about like the technical details, like how well did you do like technically, like like continuity and editing and attention to detail, like that stuff gets me because it pulls me out when I'm watching it. And it's not like, and it's like it's actually happening when it's not like I'm going back and looking at it like in frame by frame and being like, oh look, they did this. It's like I'm watching it live and I'm saying like, wait, it was just nighttime. Wait, now now right. it was just light. And it's just, and then like, and you're watching it and like, wait, why is that? Why do you still have that under the mat? What are you doing? So why are you like reaching down right there so Krychek can see you? Like he's he's going to see you. You're like 20 feet away from him in the car. <laughs> he can see through the windshield. So yeah. Windshields are see-through? Oh no. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I know. It's silly. There was some weird thing going on the windshield. I was really distracted because I was really trying to figure out whether they were really in traffic when Mulder and Krychek, and I'm thinking they weren't. I'm thinking that may have been like a set with some green screen because there was something funky going on with the windshield on Krychek's side. Huh. There was like a weird like mirror thing going on along the length of the side that may have been from like the way like the the compositing was affecting the glare on the windshield. There was something going on. Huh. Like I'm thinking like all the stuff behind them was actually like a composite shot and not real. And yeah. Like the car, in, like the back end that we see of the car in front of them was like another car they were just like parked in front of. Right. Um, I'm not sure though, but there was something weird going on with the windshield. Huh. But yeah. Another thing that I noticed in real time because that's what yes. I do. So I can't help it. Yeah. Well, and if it throws you out, I mean that, you know, that's the whole thing with TV. It's like suspension of disbelief. And if that gets broken, it is distracting and it does kind of ruin your experience a little bit. So, yeah. So stop doing it. <laughs> stop it. X-Files. X-Files. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded at Black Cat Studios today with Extra Riled Up Cats. Extra Riled Up Cats. They're not even black. Hmm. One of, well, one of them is a tuxedo. <laughs> okay. Well, the black cats have been excised. I've got a little airlock from the bedroom closet. <laughs> so. Episode production, design, and editing is by Lazy End Productions. Our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz. And the truth is what we make of it by the Aquarians. You can find us at IWantToRewatch.com or wherever podcasts are found. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. And you can always share this podcast with a friend. If they like the X-Files, we'd love to have them join us. Yep, and sharing is really the best way you could do this because I honestly cannot figure out how to rate and review podcasts. It's not available on my app, and I even can't figure it out when I go to Apple. So maybe I'm a dullard. I don't know. I've done it a couple times, and then sometimes I can't find it. Like, if there's a podcast I want to, like, rate, I'm like, oh, wait, I don't even know how to make that work. Yeah, I can't find it on Spotify. I don't know. But like I said, yeah, share it. Have people join us. Because speaking of which... We want you to join us next time as we rewatch season two, episode five. Dwayne Barry. And try to figure out if, if the, the truth, truth is, is still out there. The truth is what we make of it. And now, of course, like Locke's sitting quietly on the couch and Billy's probably hanging out on his cat tree in the bedroom and they're <laughs> fine because, you know, we're done. So it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> like, like, we got our spot. Cool. Mission <laughs> accomplished. Fame whores. That's all they want is their 15 <laughs> minutes of fame. <laughs> well, tell them to share the podcast. So. Right. <laughs>